Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So yesterday, um, the all day was on Metta, loving kindness. And I wanted to share and bring some of that teaching um, here today with you. And I know we've talked about this before and practiced before, but it was really a nice um, and timely review. And Spring came down from um, Oakland to share, which was lovely. And she's written a book called A Fierce Heart, which I'll share a little bit with you today. And um, Spring is from Long Beach. She was born in Long Beach. So, of course, um, Casey and I invited her to come back to our hometown and share with us. And, and we're hoping. We've got our fingers crossed. Very lovely. So, um, metta, loving kindness, is... Um, a Buddhist practice, and in the Theravadan path, um, there's a practice of repeating phrases of loving kindness. And I know some of you have that practice. How many of you practice with phrases of loving kindness? Quite a bit of you, yeah. And um, I know this practice developed, they say, about 300 years after the Buddha's teachings, his death in a formal kind of practice, and there are two ways that people practice. One is the repetition of phrases as a concentration practice, and the other is this felt sense of radiating out, not with words, but with feeling, embodied feeling of loving kindness to all beings. So there are two ways to uh, practice this. And over the years, um, sometimes I forget how powerful this practice is and take it for granted. Uh, it is part of my practice, but I don't think about it anymore. Uh, and I've gone on retreats for a week or so. People have gone for about a month and just done these phrases as concentration. Um, uh, I actually personally love to go on walks and do metta. Walking meta is my favorite thing, and um, I like to do that in the early morning, and it really sets up the day. And so um, Spring really talked about um, the importance of the practice of metta and some of the reasons behind it. So I'll read a little bit from her um, book, and she has um, a chapter called Blooming in the Mud. And that refers to that saying that a lotus grows in the mud. So she says, cultivating a fierce heart is about learning to embrace it all, even the most painful aspects of our lives. Every experience and all of ourselves, we have to open up to everything in order to transform it. We become willing to use every condition, challenge, and misery as a teaching, no matter how bad it feels or how dark it gets. Some of the wisest and most courageous people I know 
have also bloomed in mud. When we allow the shadows and the suffering in, they become the vehicles for our healing. Heartbreak, loss, and the worst betrayals become the fuel for transformation. We can learn how to use the mud and muck of our lives to wake up and grow. When it feels impossible, that is exactly the time when we need a fierce heart the most. Let it all burn in the cosmic fires so you can forge your fierceness and grow stronger and wiser. No matter what you've been through, now is the starting point. So if you're feeling hopeless or at a loss, please trust me when I say your greatest moments are yet to come. Beautiful, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just a joy. Um, and so many of us in here have had the opportunity to bloom in the mud. Can you relate? Right, and I know all of you, and yes, and I know that's true, myself included. And metta, loving kindness, is one of the practices or vehicles for this beautiful heart opening. She says, um, to have peace, we need to break the addiction of our destructive thinking, our dark, contracted thinking. To get out of prison, we have to become mindful of our thoughts and begin um, unlocking, unlinking the chain of our suffering. Yeah, and this is one of the ways. And um, the uh, retreat was um, so timely for me, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. She says, we all have this homesickness. We're all homesick for our true nature, the nature of our heart. We're all yearning for that place of deep love and love without boundaries, a boundless love, which is our true nature. And we're through life and all these challenges, we get all these obscurations of the heart. Our heart closes for protection. Walls go up. We get defended. And um, we lose that connection to that unconditional, beautiful place where we can abide. And myself, um, walking around the past few weeks, I sort of had this experience. Um, and it started with me um, around the comment from a certain person whose name I won't mention. <laughs> You're all laughing already. It had something to do with um, the, um, I'll say, poo-poo hole comment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the comment a couple of weeks ago that I won't say it right, that comment. Um, and um, I felt, like all of you, there was a response. I just felt something in my heart tighten mm -hmm. and harden. Um, and I felt a contraction in my body and a sadness, a sense of, of loss, a loss of innocence, you know, that this kind of dialogue would be happening here now in, in this time, in, in this country, you know. And um, one of the things Spring pointed out is that we like to create these external villains, but this person is a part of us, 
we have to own the landscape. You know, we have to own our complicity in this thinking. You know, um, all of us have a shadow, and when we're unconscious, we can act out on it. You know, we're we're all not above it. Um, so I've been walking around with this kind of tightened, defended heart, and um, it continued for me with the dialogue that um, continued around <coughs> DACA and dreamers and how um, this beautiful group of people were like a pawn in a game, you know? And even talking about it, I could feel the contraction in the room, the sadness around it. and, and the, So this was kind of obscuring the heart, hovering over my heart. and. In, in these moment-to-moment -moment, um, awareness, not really sure how to navigate. And so, of course, the place to go is to Dharma and practice for strength, equanimity, calm, and ease. That's what, and wisdom, yeah? A, back, a dive, a step backwards into the teachings. And um, <clears throat> Spring talked about this tendency that we have to fall in to a closed heart, a shutdown heart, or as I like to say, you know, that saying about you walk down the sidewalk and you fall into this hole. <laughs> Does everybody know that one? Yes. Uh -huh. I walk down the sidewalk, I fall into this hole, don't know how to get out, takes a while I get out, next day I walk down the sidewalk, whoops, fall in again. <laughs> so many ways that we fall in that hole. Uh, very common, very human. And um, one way, of course, is um, the anger, getting caught and stuck in anger. Anybody relate to that one? Yeah. yeah. That wall. <laughs> Never mind building a wall. <laughs> There's a wall, right? Um, and behind that, we can walk around numb. And she talked about that, walking around in a very numb state, a frozen state. And she says that um, when we're walking around with this numb state, we're not always aware of the suffering inside, the suffering on others that we may be contributing to, and our planet. We don't feel the resonance of our actions. We feel disconnected. So this is one of those holes in the sidewalk, walking around in the numb place. Another way um, that, that that little hole that we fall into is a disassociated one. From trauma or overwhelm, um, we just leave our body. <laughs> We're not embodied anymore. We're walking around with our, from the chin to the top of the head, you know, we're, we've left the planet, so to speak, from the overwhelm or trauma. Um, another way is, uh, and I added this one, is when we fall into that trap, that core sense of shame, the shame trap, where I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, and there's something inherently wrong. And sometimes um, this can just be a felt sense without words. We don't even know we're thinking of it. It's just like this little sickening sense in your tummy. It's 
somewhere of I'm not enough. And along with that um, comes this strong inner critic, this um, little internal voice that is talking to you with words or a feeling. That message that we're not right or we're not doing it right or we're not going to do it right or we can't meet it, you know. Um, and this creates a very, very difficult internal landscape that we're walking around with and it creates just suffering. Sometimes just waking up and tuning into the mind is suffering. And uh, she, she talked about someone on a retreat that she was conducting um, in a personal interview uh, telling her, my mind, it's like I'm in a telephone booth with an insane person and a megaphone. <laughs> right? <laughs> we can all relate to that. Um, and as a matter of fact, if you've been on the retreats, I know Lola has, and you've had, right? The first day or two of a retreat can be exactly like that. It's, you know, you've, you've traveled, you've paid all this money, you've got your cushion, your shawl, and you are going to sit in silence, right? <laughs> and the mind is just like, right. So um, she talked about the practice of metta as a um, practice of transformation and a practice of um, purification that in order to um, cultivate the ease, the peace, the calm, equanimity, stillness, a still mind, we have to go through a purification process and have a way to work with these conditions, this megaphone mind, right? And uh, to, to get back to the true nature that was already there. To get back to what's already our birthright. And she said, um, sometimes my mind can't handle what's going on in the world, but my heart can. And that was a perfect answer for me in these few weeks. That my mind really couldn't handle the dialogue. Um, but the heart can hold it. And that's what we're cultivating, compassion, strength, wisdom, so that the heart can guide us and give us strength and carry us through, and we could tap into the wisdom. Because we can't fold. No one will get served by us folding. And I also feel we can't tune out. I don't want to turn off the news, you know? I don't want to not know, but I need the strength and the capacity to know um, and to walk with this heart that's open and resilient. So this is a great time to go back and um, look at the metta practice for this kind of strength and resilience. So. Um, Another comment, she said, if your mind is violent towards yourself or <laughs> others, right, it will be violent to me. 
And we've all experienced that. When the mind is agitated and angry, it leaks out. You know, others catch it. Um, and even with the best intentions, it's very hard to serve and be effective when we're coming from that tight, contracted, and angry place. Um, she said, and I don't know who she quoted, we have to learn to pet the furry animal inside of us. And it's true, we have to learn to pet that curmudgeon in there, right? <laughs> I, for me, my inner critic has a New York accent. And uh, there was, I grew up in New York in the 60s, and uh, it was a period where things just didn't work. The garbage didn't get collected, the subways didn't run, when it snowed, the streets didn't get plowed. It was that kind of time in New York City. There was a lot of crime, a lot of garbage everywhere. <laughs> and so New Yorkers, you know, had there was this undertone comment of um, cynicism. Ah, oh, yeah, uh, those politicians, you know, they, they, they're just take money and, you know, uh, it is a stark negative running thing about how the world works that um, if my mind is left and not being tendered, this garden is not being tendered, I tend, that's my default mode of um, the curmudgeon New Yorker saying, yeah, of course the train's broken, of course the garbage isn't picked up, you know, <laughs> of course it's not working, you know, just this regional critic that will come in and look at everything, it will color everything of the cynic will come out and see everyone and everything in this dark color. One time, um, my friend Brad and I were teaching, we were teaching a um, beginner's class for meditation. And um, there was a woman in the class about the fourth or fifth week in, and um, she raised her hand in the class, and uh, she said, um, I'm beginning to think that if you knew me, you would not like me. Just came out of kind of nowhere. And um, we looked at her and we, we let her talk. And she said, um, I'm a black woman. I'm poor. I'm not educated. I have a learning disability and I don't have a home. And I think if you knew me, you would not like me. It's a very honest moment. Mm -hmm. You know, she had a lot of courage to speak that out. Mm -hmm. A lot of courage. And Brad and I looked at each other, and we said the same thing at the same time. And, and he and I have sat with teachers for years, with wise teachers. We've both had great teachers in our lives. And we said to her, um, we said, yeah, we get why you would say that. And that was really, really honest. And there's a truth to that. And we'll go into that. Um, and we said to her, and the Buddha nature shines through you. Through all of this is Buddha nature. So we have this dilemma in our collective mind, our culture. Um, throws some people away, devalues others, elevates others. It's subtle. 
um, we're seeing that men have power, <laughs> right? There's this history of male dominance. We're seeing how poverty devalues people, how if you're certain color, you're devalued, education. She was absolutely right that in our collective mind, we make snap judgments and devalue all the time. And we devalue ourselves when we do that as well. You know, it's just splitting off, cutting off, less than, more than, that we all do unconsciously, right? And so she really gave voice to that. She raised voice. And the teachings of the Buddha, the teachings of the great teachers, is that to take this life, to have this life, um, we're born with the inherent capacity to awaken, to serve, to love, to grow, to reach the highest potential. And so the meta phrases towards self, may I be happy, may I be at peace, may I have wisdom, may I have strength, may I be calm, may I be well, may I be strong. These phrases towards self uproots and, and clears and cleans up this false sense of self we have, of badness or not enough, whether it comes from our parents, our community, the culture, the politics, um, trauma, wherever it comes from, these practices of self-love and self-compassion uproot and dig out this false perception we have of ourselves. This Western culture problem we have, because she's saying when you go to Burma and Thailand and other parts of the world, Sri Lanka, people don't, they're like, oh, I've taken birth, I'm on a retreat, I'm meditating, you know, awakening will happen. You know, there's not this devaluing that happens as it does here. And she stressed the importance of not sloughing over, not pushing over the tendence, tendency we have of not enoughness. And to use the metta practice to clean out, to uproot these tendencies of uh, self-hatred, self-contempt, and not enough. You know, because uh, this is an obstacle. This aversion is an obstacle to our practice and to our peace. She, she gave a quote, the practice of metta, from, I think it's from Sayadaw U Pandita. She said, he said, it's like going to the beauty parlor on the inside. It's <laughs> <laughs> not always easy. And she said, through this practice of metta for self, right? That it's taking down the tree of delusion through wisdom. You know, slowly we're tearing it down. And what tears it down is love and compassion. Not muscling and effort, but it's really that love and that compassion that tears it down. And I remember being on a meta retreat, doing the phrases hour after hour after hour towards self and others and walking with the metta outside. And at a certain point, um, just walking and repeating the 
phrases of self-meta, may I be happy, may I be at peace, may I be safe, may I be well. And my heart just exploding inside my chest and the tears rushing down. And I could feel the wall of contempt that I held against myself. Just breaking. It's a beautiful moment. Beautiful moment. And I think in some ways we hold this wall of contempt because we're we're never in control enough. There's a part of us that wants safety and control and we strive for it. And maybe through our ignorance or our delusion, we believe we can have it. If I'm smart enough, sharp enough, fast enough, if I know the right people, if I run fast enough, then I can outwit fate. <laughs> I can outwit the difficulties. And we never can. So there's a poem in her book that really speaks to this. And I'll read it to you. It's called The Dakini Speaks by Jennifer Wellwood. My friends, let's grow up. Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. Or if we truly haven't noticed, let's wake up and notice. Look, everything that can be lost will be lost. It's simple. How could we have missed it for so long? Let's grieve our losses fully like ripe human beings. But please, let's not be so shocked by them. Let's not act so betrayed, as though life had broken her secret promise to us. Impermanence is life's only promise to us, and she keeps it with ruthless impeccability. <laughs> to a child, she seems cruel, but she is only wild, and her compassion exquisitely precise, brilliantly penetrating, Luminous with truth, she strips away the unreal to show the real. This is the true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. Let's stop making deals for a safe passage. There isn't one anyway, and the cost is too high. We are not children anymore. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. <laughs> pretty, pretty uh, straight talking there, right? Pretty powerful. And I feel coming back around in this circle that the reason why we hold ourselves in contempt and we have this inner critic and this dark dialogue inside that has so much suffering is that all of us are trying to keep the candle lit in the wind, you know? <laughs> we all think that we've got this superhuman ability to avoid difficulty, and yet these difficulties come. We take it so personal, we create a narrative of our own lack or shame. So the teachings... Um, Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, 
and the metta teachings, they all disrupt the false belief of control. So, a couple of other things she said, and then we'll do some metta practice today together. She quoted Jack Cornfield. We are not here to perfect ourselves. We are here to perfect our love. So just remembering that is so beautiful. I think three times. <laughs> Actually, I looked at it and I had written in my notes JK and I read it and I went, Did John Kennedy say that? <laughs> we are not here to perfect ourselves. We are here to perfect our love. Isn't that beautiful? Mm-hmm. And I think Spring's comment on that was, um, I stopped asking myself, am I a better person? Instead, I asked myself, was I kinder today? Mm-hmm. is that beautiful? Yeah. We are not here to perfect ourselves. We are here to perfect our love. And she says, the question she asks herself with her metta practice is how can I love myself, how can I love all beings, and how can I walk on the earth with care? Beautiful. And she quoted Chogen Trumpa, there are two paths. One is to Buddhahood and one is to egohood. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And the other one she quoted was, um, Martin Luther King, uh, the long arc of the universe bends towards justice. So I have to remember that in times like this. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you one more that she said that was very cute. She said there was a woman um, with a little girl in the supermarket. I'm doing this from memory, so we'll see how well I do. And um, the little girl was uh, in the shopping cart and carrying on very antsy and whining, as children are, about four or five. And um, they go up the first aisle, and the little girl starts to, um, she sees a coloring book and crayons there. and She starts to cry and ask her mom for the coloring book and crayons. And the mom says, oh, Melissa, it's okay, we just have a few more aisles to shop and we'll be out of the store and it will be all right. We'll have fun later. And they go down another aisle and the little girl sees some sugary cereal. And she starts to cry and beg for some of the cereal. And mom says, oh, sweet Melissa, it's okay. We have about three more aisles to go down, and then we'll be in the car, and we'll listen to a tape and nice music, and it will be okay. You know, Mom says no very gently. They go down another aisle, and the little girl sees um, uh, candy. And she starts to scream and cry and demand for the candy. 
And the mom very gently and kindly says, Oh, Melissa, it's really okay. We have two more aisles. We'll be out of the store soon. Pretty soon you're going to have a nice nap. It's all right. They go down one more aisle, and the little girl sees some fruit juice, and she wants the fruit juice. And mom says once again, Oh, Melissa, we're almost at the checkout. It will be over soon. Take a few deep breaths, and we're going to be out of here. It's really okay. They get through the checkout. The little girl is grabbing things and pulling things and demanding and, you know, getting in the way of the checkout. Melissa, honey, we're almost at the car. It's all right. We're going to get there. It will be fine. She gets out, and she's driving to the car, and this man walks up to her and says, Ma'am, I have to tell you, I've been watching you with dear little Melissa, and you have so much patience and kindness. I just don't know how you do it. And the woman turns around and says to him, I'm Melissa. This is... <laughs> So these phrases <laughs> of compassion didn't really. So uh, one more quote from her book, and then we'll do some metta together. Uh, the church says, this is from Eduardo Galliano, Galliano. The church says the body is a sin. Science says the body is a machine. Advertising says the body is a business. The body says, I am a fiesta. <laughs> so we'll do some meta practice. Some of you may want to put your hands on your heart, on your belly, making contact with the body, and closing the eyes. And sensing into feeling the chair, the floor. allowing yourself to drop in and feeling this sweetness, this softness, this gentleness like a gentle rain coming down from the sky of loving kindness, little drips down the face, the heart, the 
belly, legs, this gentle rain of sweetness. Just noticing what's ever here in the heart today. And I'd like you to imagine for a moment a pet, a loved one, a spiritual figure, a sage, elder, teacher, anyone in your life who has been kind, loving, wise. And I'd like you to hold that person <coughs> pet, figure in your mind's eye, and sense the connection, the love, the sweetness, the gratitude towards this being. And silently repeat the phrases, we're just radiating unconditional love. May you be safe and free of harm. And may you be healthy in body and in mind. May you be at ease and free of suffering. Now widening the circle between this being and you and silently adding yourself into this wish from the heart. May you and I be safe and free of harm. May you and I be healthy in body and in mind. May you and I be at ease and free of suffering. And widening the circle a little further to someone that you're worried about, concerned about. It could be a group of people or an individual. For this metta practice, we'll focus on the I and you, the we quality. We're in it together. May you and I be safe and free of harm. May you and I be healthy in body and in mind. May you and I be at ease, be at peace, and free of suffering. And even widening the circle further 
bigger to all sentient beings, the ones that we may not like, the ones that we care about, the ones that we don't know. May all beings be safe and free of harm. May all beings be healthy in body and in mind. May all beings be at peace and ease. May all beings be peaceful and free of suffering. May I and all beings live in peace. Just listen to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.